God is a great God. Our Savior is a great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that you know him as your Lord and Savior. And uh, This morning in our first service, we had uh, two baptisms, and Pastor Kelvin was leading there and asking the key questions to the full gospel. Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Savior, and is he the Lord of your life? And that's the full gospel. He is Savior and he is Lord to the glory of God. Well, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you ever get the feeling that you might be missing out on all that you could have in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you ever think that way, or if you are curious at the very least, we're going to look at that this morning, but let's open our time in prayer. Our Father and our God, we, we want to make sure that we are not missing out on anything that you have for us. We um, were led by your spirit to begin this series and to call it all in. And so, our Father, it is our desire that the Spirit of God would move our hearts to personal revival and community revival from hearts that are all in. And so I pray, Father, as we come nearer the end of our time in this portion of your word, that we might not miss out on anything that you have for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would energize us this morning with a passion to listen to your word. Pastor Dwayne's already prayed that, that we would give our attention fully to you, Lord. That we would allow the Spirit of God to speak through your word into our lives. That we would not come with um, preconceived ideas or entrenched behavior patterns that cannot be transformed or changed by you, but that we would come before you in your presence this morning uh, with a willingness of heart, with a submissiveness of spirit, I pray, Lord, because you have great, great things for us, and we want to be fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and to embrace and receive and experience all that that means in our lives, so we offer to you our very best this morning, Lord, and we ask you now that your spirit would lead us into your word, lead us into an understanding, give us willing hearts, and revive us, Lord, that we might be personally, fully committed to you, I pray in Jesus' name, and for his sake, amen. Well, um, catching up again, of course, as to where we are at, uh, we are a long way into the history of God's people. By the time you get to the book of Nehemiah, uh, but one thing that is certain is that the history of God's people in the Old Testament is to have squandered the blessings of their material prosperity. Uh, God wanted to give his people everything. He wanted to bless us in every way. And uh, we regularly undercut the blessings that we could have from God uh, because of our, our behavior, our bad behavior, our sinful behavior. And that's certainly the history of the people of the Old Testament. And so we get to the time of Nehemiah, and by that time they had certainly squandered away all the material blessings that they had had from God. Uh, and for 146 years they were languishing in a, after exile in a, uh, a ruined Jerusalem, in a ruined countryside. And uh, nobody was doing anything about it until uh, God put it on Nehemiah's heart as a leader to come and challenge the people about personal revival and reform and to, to receive back all that God has for his people. 
And so this is a time that, that while it was historic, is a time that is very uh, contemporary to us as well. Uh, because in so many ways, from person to person, we have perhaps squandered the blessings that we could have had uh, for, uh, with, uh, if we had have, uh, chosen to be faithful to God. But God is a great God and patient God and long-suffering God, and he longs to restore to you uh, what the, um, the locusts have eaten. And uh, I pray this morning that your heart will be one of revival and you will be encouraged and enthusiastic about the possibilities that God has for you, that you'll be people of great hope. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about four major uh, realities that come with dedication. And uh, by the time we get now to this part in the, in the, in the uh, Nehemiah story, Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27, um, uh, this morning, we're, on, we're at dedication time, dedication of the wall. They built the wall. They've fixed the gates, and uh, now it's time to, to come together and recognize the great things that God is doing and will do. And so I want to show you four things here about the word dedication and devotion, what that really looks like, um, what uh, it means dedication to what really matters. And, and quite frankly, that's why it's important that we regather uh, once a week to... Um, refresh each other's hearts about what really matters to sing praises together and hear the word of God proclaimed and to pray and and to, to spur one another on to good works and to, to exercise our giftedness with one another it's important to come together and revisit the greatness of our God that we might not forget him and all of his benefits that he daily loads on us. And so it's talking about the whole mechanism of devotion and dedication. And so um, if you have your Bibles open, I want to look at Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27, beginning there. I'm going to be skipping names again, so I'll protect the innocent. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the, from the villages of Netophethites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Giba and Asmaveth. I am so glad I didn't live then. For, and, and I'm wondering if this is the language of heaven. I've wondered about Hebrew being the language of heaven. It's, it's a little bit anxious for me. When, when the um, priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate. Hoshea and half the leaders of Judah followed them and a bunch of uh, other leaders as well, priests with trumpets and, and uh, the associates of one another with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. And Ezra, the scribe, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the, Jesh the Jeshina gate, uh, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. 
The two, two choirs gave, uh, that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God, so did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests. Uh, and, and the priests are named here, and they sang under the direction of Jazrahiah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifice, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the singers and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the singers and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron or the priests. This is the word of God to us this morning. As I said, I want to share with you four words today, four big words about dedication and devotion and what they're all about. And the first word is this, consecration. And it comes from verse 30. It is the first priority that is established here in this gathering of God's people. Notice what it says here. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, consecration, first the leaders, then the people, uh, then the resources, nothing left unclean. Now, um, this consecration uh, is was a part of this ceremony and this dedication of the wall. And remember what the wall was representing. If you remember, we taught about it representing the distinctiveness of God's people. Uh, it, it was to establish for them that they were to be distinct from all of the other peoples of the world who worshipped other gods and were led astray by other gods and by their passions and by wickedness and all of that. And so this was a ceremony that was, was um, particularly identifying their distinctiveness. So consecration and purification is that act whereby uh, God's people mark themselves out as distinctly belonging to God. Why is that important? Well, if you are going to go forward with God, you can't have your heart pulled in two different directions. And if you're committed to spiritual advance, you need to know that you are signing up for warfare. And if you are counting on winning that battle, then you absolutely need God. And if you're going to have God on your side, you need to turn your back on your sin. If you're choosing sin, you are choosing uh, to uh, rely, not rely on the help of Christ. And so it's important for us to understand that this reality of consecration is, is this act whereby God's people were ceremonially, outwardly, recognizing that it was necessary for them to come before God with, with a, a cleanness of life. If they were going to go into battle, they were going to advance spiritually, they needed God. Now it says in the book of Psalms, Psalm 24, it asks the question there, who may ascend to God's holy hill? Who may, uh, who may move toward God? And it says there, he who has 
clean hands and a pure heart. You know that. And this is a recognition of that. In fact, throughout all of the scriptures, there is this call on God's people to consecrate yourself. As people were advancing in the, in the name of God, it was necessary to be consecrating themselves. If you're trying to advance and make spiritual progress without the help of God, uh, you will fail miserably because we are not strong enough to fight against Satan without him and, and fight against our flesh. And polluted flesh, uh, polluted flesh is never in fact going to be able to move toward a description of clean hands. And, and core illness, uh, sinfulness in our lives, inauthenticity because of our sinfulness can never represent itself as a pure heart. You may be able to fool some of the people some of the time, but we can never fool God ever. Not one time, not ever. He always knows about the truth of our hearts. And so it always went out to God's people for our own, um, for our own sakes in terms of advancing the cause of Christ. Make sure your lives are consecrated before God. Make sure you understand the nature of this battle. If you're going to push forward, you really have to decide to leave your sin behind. This is key. We've been talking about this over and over again. I can't impress it enough upon you. Um, of course, we, we, uh, we don't use the word consecration so much in the New Testament community as we're more familiar with the word sanctification. It's the same idea, it's the same theology, it's the idea of setting yourself apart, making sure that you cooperate with the work that God is doing in your life and wants to do in your life, the transforming work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, so that you are available at every moment for the good purposes that God has for you. That's what sanctification is. It's making sure that your life is usable at every moment for the great purposes that God has for you. At the outset of this time together this morning, we said, we asked the question, do you ever feel like you're missing out on, on some of the great things that God might have for you? I can tell you that you will be missing out on some of the great things that God has for you if you are entertaining sin in your life. That's just a fact. And so this whole issue of sanctification is learning by God's strength to say yes to God and to also learn to say no to certain things and certain behavior and certain thoughts. It is this twofold reality that God is training us through the Holy Spirit, through his word. Learning to say yes and learning to say no. Learning to say yes in obedience. Regularly in our lives, we... Um, sort of lean one way or the other, but most often we think of sanctification as i got to learn how to say yes and obey and submit my life to God. But we don't spend a lot of time thinking about saying no. It requires both. And um, I, I would submit to you that the ceremonial cleaning that is talking about here, purifying the priests, the Levites, and people and all of that, resources and all of that kind of stuff, uh, I would submit to you that the leaders, no doubt, in their purification reality, were fasting. Um, one of the um, disciplines that is taught in the scriptures is the discipline of fasting. And particularly in a North American culture... 
um, when we have so much. And most of us are so full of things. We have everything that we need. Regularly, we can get into a pattern of our life where we, in all sincerity, we're thinking, I don't really need God. The discipline of fasting becomes vitally important in a context like ours. I suspect if, if we're like regular North American Christians, not many of us engage in the discipline of fasting. It was unheard of in ancient Christianity not to fast. And in the Old Testament, not to fast. And it is generally um, extraordinary when God's people in a modern context fast. You see, fasting is the one discipline in our lives that trains us to say no. And so you may be having a, a challenge in your life in particular. And I, I was thinking about this whole issue of fasting. Um, Jesus, you remember, talking to his disciples, said one time when they came back and they said, we, we, couldn't, uh, we couldn't get rid of the evil spirits that were in the... And he said, these spirits can only come out by prayer and fasting. And, and we all, uh, many of us were here not too long ago when I did the series in Daniel. And, and you'll remember that Daniel was exercised in his heart over a particular matter in Daniel chapter 9. And he, it says there that he was praying. And we know that this, pray, this prayer was in the context of this spiritual battle that was going on with the prince of Persia. The uh, demon uh, representing in the high places representing that, that country. And, and uh, it says there in the text, Daniel chapter 9 verse three that he was praying and fasting and in that context it says that your prayers were heard Daniel but 21 days Michael fought with the prince of Persia to get an answer a response to that prayer and that required fasting if Daniel hadn't have fasted who who knows what would have happened there and listen I, I don't pretend to know how things go on in the heavenlies but God has given us examples in his word on purpose that we might understand a nature of what he has here. And, and so I would submit to you that, that perhaps we have ignored this in the area of consecration of our lives and sanctification of our lives. And I just want to say to you that there may be some of you out here this morning that are really up against something that is really burdening your heart. And you haven't been able to make progress spiritually. And you know that it's biblical what's on your heart. You also know that, that, you that you believe with all of your heart that it would be God's will that this would take place. You, you're also, as far as you know, you have a pure heart and clean hands before God. You, you've uh, expressed to God, if there's any sin in my life, God, I, I repent of it. I, I move away from it. I, and, and so all of that's happening, but you're still not moving forward. You're still not seeing movement forward. It may be that it would require of you a, a time of fasting. To come before God, learning how to say no. He sometimes doesn't give us things because he wants to teach us how to say no in our lives in other areas for furthering spiritual advantage in our lives. Now the simple truth is here in this whole issue of consecration is you can't have God and keep your sin too. 
Now, you maybe think that I've been really overselling this issue over these numbers of weeks and maybe exaggerating all of that, but I'm telling you, I don't believe, uh, as I understand the scriptures, as I've experienced the, the work of God in my life and in the lives of other people, I don't believe for one second I'm over-exaggerating the issue of sin. Sin will destroy your opportunities to move forward with God. It just simply will. You'll keep getting beat up. If you try to push forward in this spiritual battle without God's strength, you will get beat up over and over and over again because you're not stronger than Satan. But when God is in the right place in your life, you are more than a conqueror through Christ. And it, it is simply true that holiness always precedes happiness in a believer's life. Holiness, there is no other formula. Holiness always precedes happiness. That's why it's first priority here and all throughout the scriptures. And God has an app for sin. Do you understand that? It's called repent and be forgiven. Turn from your sin Admit your sin, turn from your sin, and receive forgiveness from Christ. And you will receive blessing. I believe that uh, the reasons that the blessings in the North American church setting are so meager is because God's people in this setting entertain far too much sin in our lives. You know, when I pick up and turn the pages of the book of Acts and I see there that People were being added to the church daily, those who were believing, those who were being saved. When I see that they're baptizing 3,000 in one day, I ask myself, why is that not happening in the church of North America? Is it a different God than the book of Acts? Do you think it's a different God? Does anybody want to put their hand up and say, I think it's a different God in the book of Acts? I don't see anybody think it's a different God in the book of Acts. Because our God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. What's the difference? I would suggest to you it might be something about consecration, about sanctification. Well, there's a second thing that really matters that, that catches my eye in this section. And it, it, after consecration, they decided that it was time for celebration. What really matters in God's people is to, that we would be dedicated to praise, that we would be dedicated to unbridled joy. Uh, I'm not going to read through here, but well, I've already read it, but the vast majority of the section I read was about celebration. Verses 27 to 29, verse 31 to 43. Listen to me, where God's presence is, where God's unbridled presence is, joy is. We were made for praise. Do you believe that? Listen, let me show you from God's word, just in case you're wondering or hesitant about it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, listen. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose, and it says us, but I'm going to personalize this for you this morning. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the truth about you. For he chose you. In him, before the creation of the world, to be holy, consecrated, set apart, and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined you to be adopted as his son 
through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. For what reason? To the praise of his glorious grace. We were made to praise God. We were brought into his kingdom to praise him with unbridled joy. And that's precisely what they did here in this particular situation. In Psalm 22, it reminds us that in the praises of God's people, God is enthroned as the Holy One of Israel. That's why it's so important for us to praise God. Psalm 22, verse 3. It says there in that psalm that when we are praising our God, we are rightfully or rightly orientating Him in our lives. We are enthroning Him. We are putting Him in the right place in our lives. That's what lordship is all about, praising God. When we are praising God, it's a powerful thing. Because it says in the word of God that Satan, our adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. He's looking for particular individuals who claim to know Christ, who he can devour, who he can work over. As a roaring lion. I would submit to you that the Bible is filled with this truth. Satan cannot devour a saint who is praising God with all of their heart. Who's making their own roar. Who's making their own loud praise to God. Because you see, praise, as we learned in, the, in, the, in several places in the scripture, when Paul and Silas were thrown into prison... And it looked very bleak for them. And it looked like they were perhaps going to die. It says in the text, in, in, in Acts chapter 16, it says there that Paul and Silas were praying and, you know, singing, praising. And as they were singing and praising, a great earthquake came and shook the prison open that they might be released. It is the power of God when we are praising, when God is enthroned. God wants fellowship with us, and praise draws that into happening. It was in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 22 that God's people were up against a great adversary. And it says there in that very text that when God's people began to sing, God set an ambush that defeated their enemies. Praising God is powerful spiritual warfare. Celebration of our great God. It's in praising that we recognize that our power is not in material possessions. It's not in our faculties. It's not in our own strength. But rather, uh, uh, praising recognizes that power is in the living God and what he provides for me. It's in our spiritual wealth in God. And so our praise enthrones God in our heart in the rightful place. In that way, when God is placed on the throne of my heart, I don't try to take it. And Satan can't have it. And so it is important for God's people to praise and celebrate. And praise and celebrate they did. They made a big production of the dedication of this wall, the dedication of their distinctiveness. What's our distinctiveness? Our distinctiveness is praise. 
We are appraising people. We praise the living Christ. We celebrate him. And they were doing that. They were gathering together. And it says everybody got up on the wall. Then they had these great choirs and the leaders and the choir and the musicians, the drums and the, 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 the uh, lyres and the harps and all that. Not lyres as in lyre people, but lyres as, as in ancient guitars. Guitars. Get the guitars up there on the, uh, on the wall. And they had, they had the pianos up there, the, uh, the ancient harps. And they had it all up there and the people surrounded. And get a picture of this. They're all surrounding. They're all going up in this wall. And the wall went right around Jerusalem. And they covered all the circumference of Jerusalem. These two grand choirs. All kinds of people. And they were praising and singing and shouting. And it says there they let it rip. And it says in the text that they were singing and praising and, and making music so loudly that it could be heard afar off. What a grand event that must have been. Can you imagine singing the praises and shouting the praises of the living God over the whole city? So not only the whole city could hear, but outside of Jerusalem could hear. Now, um, if you've ever been to a, a Jays game and you arrived late... And, and any gentleman here will know the, that how this works. You let your wife off with the ticket at the front door, and then you go and scramble for a really cheap parking space somewhere in the center of Toronto, right? At least that's what I do. And so I'm late. And when the dome is off, when that dome is pulled back, and Jose Bautista hits a dinger, you can hear that baby roar out in Spadina. At least Blue Jay Way, anyway. Right? You can hear that thing outside of the stadium. I was thinking to myself as I was looking at the text here, I was wondering, can, can people hear the praises of Calvary in the parking lot here of our church? When the 11 o'clock people are coming in, can they hear the last song that we're praising, lifting up to the glory of God? Could they hear us down at Hillsdale? Could they hear us praising God? I mean, they could be heard all over the whole city and afar off because joy is noisy that's the truth when you're rejoicing in the lord you're lifting up your voice and praise to him and thanking him it's it's noisy it's loud the song of rejoicing it says could be heard far away in verse 43 do you hope our church can be heard far away i always do that's what i long for i long that people could hear us far away worshiping our great god I wonder, you know, I wonder if Nehemiah got noise complaints from the worshipers. I, I wonder. It makes me wonder, you know, because the, the noise was too loud, because the noise of joy was too loud. Wow, what a great night we had a few weeks ago. You remember when we had um, um, his kids had their final presentation, and we had over 200, 200 young people and choir members up here in the choir. We had every nook and cranny of this, of this platform was jammed with people, and, and they were singing and praising and worshiping God, and it was such a great, powerful night of lifting up our joy to the Lord. And, and uh, the, that, that thing resonated off into the week. I, I met somebody out in the marketplace uh, on Thursday, several days after. They said to me, hey, you're the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. I was like, uh, should I deny that I am or not? You never know what's coming, you know, when somebody says that to you. 
Should I be like Peter or what? No, anyway, he said, yeah, yeah, I am. He said, wow, I was at your church Sunday night, and that was an amazing night of worship and, and praise. It was so awesome. And, and that's what uh, this celebration is about, God's people. We are called upon to, to, to believe that it matters that we celebrate and praise God. Um, I wonder, you know, I wonder when we're praising and we can be heard far away, I wonder if, it, I, I, I've often wondered, do you think it attracts God's blessing or does he, does he send back a, an email to Pastor Steve and say, could you tone it down, please? It's just too loud up here in heaven, I can't take it anymore. I, I somehow think that, that God longs to hear us. It, it was the rejoicing, the sound of rejoicing that was loud. You get it? It was the sound of rejoicing. It's not, it's not so much about, I mean, we can, make a, we can make a big noise. I mean, we got some powerful equipment in here. We can make a really loud noise. That's not the problem. But that's not what we're talking about here. It was the sound of rejoicing. It was something real about those people. It was they were lifting up to God something that came directly from their hearts and they couldn't contain it. That's what it was. It's not about electronic decibels. We can take care of that. It's about the decibels of a heart of rejoicing. Because this is an authentic thing we're talking about. That when you truly love God, you rejoice, you lift up. Your, that, that's what Paul, this isn't just an Old Testament phenomenon. When Paul was writing to the Ephesians, he says, listen, that's what spirit-filled people do in Ephesians chapter 5, 18 and 19. Spirit-filled people make, they sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other. That's the nature of, of who you are. That's what sets you apart. That's what makes you different. Have you heard the songs of, of other horrible religions? They're painful. They're, 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 they're morose. We sing songs of joy and rejoicing. Because our God has set our heart free from sin. And that's what consecrated people do. They're set free from sin. And so they rejoice. Rejoicings are distinctive. And it says men, women, and children rejoiced. That's what's important. So if you need quiet, you can find a dead liberal church here in the city. Go to that church. They'll be quiet and dead and nobody will hear anything. I'll resist the urge of giving you the suggestion of what denominations you could go to. Used to be Baptist, but we're turning it around. Are we not turning it around? All right, we are. Thanks to all the Pentecostals who've joined us. They're turning us around. We're now Bapticostals, giving up a celebration to our great God. So what else really matters here? Uh, you're not going to want to hear this one. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes. Oh, no, he's on that again. Yes, yes, Nehemiah is on that again, contributions. You know, when your heart is filled, when you, when you have turned away from sinfulness, and when you are in a celebration mode and rejoicing to God, the only thing you can ma that makes sense is to be a person of thanksgiving and to give and give and give. You know, pure hearts and true praise and unbridled joy, liberated hearts of thanksgiving always lead to material givings. You know this is true. When, when life is really moving along in, in, in full blast and you've got full throttle going and people are, and someone's offers something wonderful to you, what, what is the natural response? I, I want to do something back for you. I want to give something back to you. 
And our great God has given to us salvation. He's given us all this stuff. And so there was this great attitude of celebration. When hearts are truly touched by God, it touches the pockets of God's people. Every time. If your wallets aren't open, it's because your hearts are closed. And you really aren't in it. You really aren't all in. Uh, people, we give, we give a waitress 15%. And so we should. We, we take a look at our, uh, tally up your entertainment and vacation budget. See what it is. See what the bottom line looks like. And I would say if you're giving more to fun than to faith, then your faith is in your fun. That ought not to be. Now, we all know that the Old Testament had regulated giving patterns, and it's, you see it here. They had to bring con contributions and first fruits and tithes. And there's a reason why the Old Testament had a regulated giving system. That's because God wasn't indwelling the people. But in the church of Jesus Christ, the New Testament church of Jesus Christ, do you realize what has happened? The God of generosity, the God of extravagance, has moved into your heart to renovate you that you might become a person of generosity and extravagance. What does Christ likeness mean if it doesn't mean that? Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, spared nothing and gave everything to us. It means to me that our God is transforming us into generous, extravagant people. So this teaching is not, should not be odd to us. This should be a, a, a rehearsal of what our hearts are really like. The indwelling presence of a purposeful, generous God. Now what's the motivation of all of this? This sacrificial giving to God. Well, interestingly, in chapter 12, the name David shows up six times. You've got to ask yourself, why in, why in the world did Nehemiah go back and talk about David in chapter 12? Well, here's a, here's a possibility. And you'll see twice it mentions there, David, man of God. Now, when I think of David, I do think of man of God, and I think of man after God's own heart. But I think of other things about David. What do you think about when you hear David? Do you think man of God, man of, you know, after the heart of God? What else do you think of David? Musician, poet, that's kind of you. I, maybe I have a more wicked mind. I, I think of David as a seriously sinful guy. And here is God's memory of David being recorded for us. Our God records the memory of David as man of God. And I'm thinking, man of serious sin. And what does that tell me? That tells me that when God thinks about you, he thinks of you as man of God or woman of God or a young person of God, regardless of how faithless you've been to him or how sinful you've been toward him in the past. Our God is a God of mercy. What's the motivation? What's the motivation to, to actually serve God and to sacrificially give to God? Doesn't the Apostle Paul write to the Roman church and say in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies or because of the mercies of God that you present your lives as living sacrifices to God. Listen. The reason this is not hard is two directions. Our great God, our extravagant, generous God has moved into our life to renovate us to be generous and extravagant. But this same God, if we know who he is and we know who we are, is a merciful God. And when we think about him, it's all about his mercy. 
He has given us mercy upon mercy upon mercy. How can I say thanks to God for the mercy that he has given to me? That's who our God is. He's a merciful God. Our motivation for dedication isn't uh, pragmatic. It's not opportunistic. It's not about self-preservation. It's not about protectionistic. It's a recognition of the fact that I'm an unworthy person who was rescued and loved by God, not because of anything good I had done, but because he loves and is gracious. And that turns all of us into a extravagant, generous people. Why do we hold back from him? We would only hold back from him if we don't really understand mercy. Or possibly, possibly, that we have resident in our hearts pride. Pride that thinks, well, I wasn't really so bad. And so I'm not sure he was all that merciful. Do you remember when the uh, woman of ill repute came into a Pharisee, a Pharisee gathering that Jesus was at and his disciples were there as well? And she came in and she started anointing Jesus, anointing his head, anointing his feet. Her hair was, was um, cleaning his feet and she was kissing his feet over and over again. And he turned to one of his disciples and he said, he said you notice this woman? She has not stopped kissing me since she came here. And yet none of these offered me anything. And he said, here's the difference. Those who've been forgiven much love much. Now let me just help you to understand what Jesus was saying to everybody who was listening. Those who don't think they've been forgiven much don't love very much. He was saying to his disciples, don't be like that. And I wonder sometimes if some of us haven't thought, well, we haven't been forgiven all that much. And it translates into, we don't love very much. Listen, I know who I am. I don't know who you are. But I can tell you this about me. I have been forgiven much. Much. I can't even imagine why God would forgive me. Why God would bring me into his kingdom. And, and I think I can know you all well enough to say there isn't a person in here who hasn't been forgiven much. And because of that, and if you realize that, then love him much. Love is generous. And finally, we might be thinking as we close in on all of this that it all sounds like it's one way. All in me, all in me. How come I have to be all in? All in consecration, all in celebration, all in contribution. What about God? Is God a taker? Is that all he is? Maybe that's all we can see. I want to leave you with this thought this morning, then we're finished. In Colossians chapter 1, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Do you see that? Do you see what your great God has done for you? God first promises 
that he is all in for you. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ. And you have Christ dwelling in you. You have all the fullness of God has been given to you. He spared no expense. You've been given the fullness of Christ. Dedicating yourself to the one who has totally dedicated himself to you. We get everything we need to be more than a conqueror. God is offering extravagance to you. His mercies include every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1 verse 3. I wonder if too many of us are settling for tidbits of God. Instead of all of him. If we give little, we're probably taking little. God wants us to consume him. Take all of him. It is important for us that we recognize that God wants us to know the extravagance of having everything he wants us to have. It is so highly worth it to give all of yourself to God. Consecrate yourself. Celebrate every chance you get to lift up praise to God. It is your battle plan. Give generously. Give, give, give to God. And consume Him. Dedication, I think, is defined this way. Bringing all of you to all of God, into all of your life. That's what all in is. That's the blessed life, being there. Our Father and our God, I pray that you will take your word and by the power of your spirit, you would impress upon our hearts in a fresh, fresh way that revival is necessary, reform is necessary, that all in is non-negotiable. Oh God, I pray this morning that as we are starting to wind down in this grand section of your word that calls for devotion and commitment, oh God, I pray that your spirit would not allow us to settle back into old patterns, taking tidbits, giving tidbits, giving little tiny bits of praise, dabbling with sin. Oh God, make us rich in you. Make us celebrate with great praise. God, I pray that we would be extravagant beyond compare. And I pray, Lord, that we would be settled for nothing less than consuming all of you, the fullness of God, to the glory and praise of our great God. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Hey, did this song not tell us God's all in? He's all in. He's all in for you. He looks after you. He watches over you. He saved you. He loves you. He cares for you. Listen, I want to talk to you very briefly about dedication in four spheres of your life as we make application. And the first is home. 
Uh, leaders of your homes, moms, dads, are you creating an atmosphere of all in for God in your home, in the setting with your children? It influences them, it impacts them that you're all in for God. And so he's calling on leaders of families, leaders of homes to be all in, be dedicated, devoted to, to living God. How about at the workplace? where God has called you to shine like the stars of the universe, you may be the only believer in your place uh, of God's calling. Are you all in for God where you are called, where you are working? Do you work with a passion for God? Are you the greatest employee where you are that you might be an example of Jesus Christ, that people might see you and say, that person is different. They work with a different passion. They're committed in a different way. They represent I don't know. I got to talk to them. Who do they represent? The Lord Jesus Christ. Are you all in where you work? Are you all in in the social setting, in the, as a citizen of this city and this region and this country? Are you all in as, as one who cares about your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Listen to me. If you don't know your neighbor's name, you can't be loving them. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you know what they care about? Do you know who their children are? And then there's one other sphere, and that's the sphere of the church, the gathering of God's people. When we gather together, are you all in? Are you utilizing your giftedness in God's church to make the body of Christ robust? We had baptisms this morning. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Have you been baptized? Are you all in? Baptism is, a, is another step of all in. What about people who are here at this church? Are you a member of this church, member of Calvary Baptist Church? Why aren't you a member of Calvary Baptist Church? Are you just dating the church or are you all in? Are you married? Are you married to this people that we might share our giftedness with one another, spur one another on to, to love and good works? It's about all in. It's about taking the steps in your life that demonstrate dedication and devotion to God, that God, I'm all in. Dedication is all of you to all of God, to all of life, all in. Our Father, this is your business, not mine. You've called me to speak your word to God's people. But the changing of hearts is only by the Spirit of God. And so I ask that the powerful presence of God would do His work in our hearts, that we might not make excuses for being in, sort of, but not all in. All in, Lord, all in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.